Welcome to episode number 167, The Way Home. This is the Rotated Views Podcast with Jimmy Lee and the crew, giving you life from various perspectives. Welcome to our level. We hope you enjoy the views. Brought to you by the Blessed Lifestyle brand. Visit bl3ssed.com to get blessed. Also sponsored by The Motivation Files Unleashed. This motivational mixtape will be your fuel for success. Available on all platforms. All right, you are now tuned in to the Rotated Views Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Lee Velez. I'm here with Gabe, Manny, Heck, Goose, Paul, and James. The way home. In this episode, we have special guests Paul Clements and James Richardson. We cover topics that range from starting a nonprofit, rental properties, compassion, homelessness, and much more. We wrap the episode up with quotes from the Dalai Lama and Steve Marabali. Guys, if you're new, thank you for joining us. Don't forget to download and subscribe. We drop a new episode every Tuesday morning for your listening pleasure. Kicking things off. Paul and James, uh, thank you for joining us, first of all. Thanks for uh, having us. Absolutely. absolutely. Uh, the Way Home. So those of us who do not know who you are and what you do, we'll start, start with you, Paul. Let us know. Uh, so uh, The Way Home is an uh, organization created to provide pathways to housing for chronically homeless men in Bucks County. I love it. Okay. Uh, so we are a, uh, a housing first model organization okay and uh, for those listening who are not familiar uh, with housing first uh, housing first is a permanent supportive housing uh, program that's designed to help with the chronically homeless population so okay. um, you know the, there is a broader definition out there of homelessness uh, hud defines homelessness as anyone who doesn't have a permanent home okay. permanent roof over their head so anyone who's doubled up uh, living in a car uh, living in a garage according to HUD is considered homeless but when the public sees homelessness what do you think of you yeah. think you think of the guy you see on the sidewalk right sure. you think the guy pushing his belongings in the shopping cart sure, sure. and that's that's what we consider the uh, the most vulnerable population the, the homeless community that would be the chronically homeless community hmm. Uh, most of the time, those are the ones that are dealing with drug addiction, alcoholism, mm. mental health, uh, the things that keep them from being able to sustain housing. And yeah. so uh, Housing First is designed to attack that population's issues, Okay. Um, to try to get rid of the visible homelessness that we see on the streets. Okay. Uh, here in Bucks County, what that means is the, uh, the camps. You know, we have a lot of woods in the area here, and so we have a lot of homeless camps around the area, and that's where the majority of that population resides. And those are the folks that you see here in Bristol down on the, the wharf. Right. Uh, those are the folks that you see outside of Walmart. Those are the folks you see holding up signs at the intersections. Mm. And so The Way Home was founded to attack that vulnerable population not attack that population but attack the the issues of homelessness surrounding that population here in our communities gotcha um and each individually how did how did you get started with uh the way home how did it come about uh paul we'll start with you well, i was just brought on uh in july as executive director i'd done some work with them before as a volunteer coordinator okay um actually james uh, was a mentor of mine he actually um 
discipled me and kind of in the same way we um, give the homeless population freedom to improve their lives James kind of did that in my life uh, and it was it just a, he he basically invited me into his house yeah and gave me the freedom to make mistakes yeah and it changed my life yeah and so it became a passion of mine to be able to do the same thing for other men wow nice very cool and you james so uh my story kind of goes back a little bit beyond the start of the way home so let's hear it um i was a uh an army veteran i am an army veteran uh i served in iraq in 2003 i was wow. in the first convoy in to iraq in 03 uh, and i came home early uh, but i came home with some issues kind of in that period before ptsd was really defined sure uh and there was something wrong with me and i didn't know what it was and the route that i took to deal with it was immersing myself in and drugs and alcohol and uh, I actually was a homeless drug addict in 2007. Wow. Uh, fast forward a few years and I had made my way here to uh, Bristol PA through a, a couple of uh, twists along the way um, and in 2011 I was working here in Bristol at Interfaith Housing uh, which used to meet uh, down off a of green lane and their mission was to provide uh, affordable housing to families here in Bucks County. And uh, they worked with HUD and they, they had a lot of houses that they had rehabbed. And my wife and I had actually bought a house from them in 2009. Uh, wow. So fast forward two years from homeless drug addiction, I bought a house and one day I happened to be at work. I ran a furniture donation center for people that were coming out of homelessness. And the executive director called me into his office and said, hey, we're having a meeting here this afternoon to figure out what to do about the homeless camp that's being evicted right here behind Lower Bucks Hospital. And I know you're passionate about homelessness. I think you should be there. Yeah. And so uh, Chris Auth was his name. He sat me down between a man and a woman I'd never met before. The man to my right was a guy by the name of Don Richards, who was a retired Methodist pastor, actually was the founder of AHTN, the Advocates for the Homeless and Those in Need. Okay. And to my left was County Commissioner Diane Marseglia. And uh, I sat through this meeting. But and you had no idea. I that. didn't know who they <laughs> were crazy. until introductions that day. And I well, thought, what am I doing here? I right. was a uh, junior in college at the time. I was uh, a social work major. Uh, but I didn't have any right to be having a, a meeting with all these county heads uh, deciding what to do about this vulnerable population in the woods. And to my surprise, in the middle of the meeting, someone asked me for my opinion hmm. on what we should do for program. And uh, a few days before that, the executive director had told me about housing first. And it, it came out. I didn't know why. It just yeah. popped out of my mouth. Well, you know, Housing First might be an option. Yeah. And so at the end of that meeting, uh, I was tapped along with two other uh, men from the area, Don Richards being one and Dick McMillan uh, being the other, who is the executive director for the Sunday Breakfast Rescue Mission down okay. in Philadelphia. Yeah. Uh, the three of us became the first administrative team to figure out what to do with this homeless camp. Wow. Wow. And so here I was, junior in college, no reason to be here other than I had been homeless myself. Right. And I was part of this program. Um, so we met for a while. And uh, after several months in, Don Richards said to me, uh, I think we're ready to incorporate. And I think you need to be the guy that, that runs this. Wow. I think you need to wow. be the guy that takes the reins and goes. And he, we actually have to credit him. Don Richards is the one who came up with 
the name The Way Home. Wow. Uh, but at the same meeting that he donned the name for the organization, he also told everyone that he wanted me to become the first president of the board. And, wow. and that was where we started. So wow. uh, when we went out to talk to these guys in the woods, I was actually standing there outside of their tents telling these men, hey, four years from now, you can be in my shoes because four years ago, I was exactly where you are today. So, wow. Yeah. Um, what is something you want the, the folks listening to know about homelessness? Um, and, and when we see it, what, like, what, what perspective do you have that's kind of different than what we would see? And, and a lot of people just place judgment on people yeah, and yeah, just absolutely. blame them. Oh, that's their fault. Um, give, give us a different spin so that we could provide people that it's more of, you know, getting a knowledge behind and the appreciation sure. yeah, yeah. for what's going yeah, on. Yeah, I, I think, you know, with the, the world the way it is today and with the economy the way it is today, when I say this, I think probably everybody in this room can see uh, how this is possible. Um, but we are all really kind of one step away from being there, right? Absolutely. I mean, it, you know, we're, we're one paycheck away. I think the last statistic I, I read was um, somewhere between 80 and 90% of Americans only have one month's expenses saved. Wow. Yep. So we are all really that sure. close to it, right? Right, right? So if you take that perspective when you look at the problems of chronic homelessness, you realize that if me, myself, with my life put together is one bad month away from being in that position, how is someone who doesn't have things put together going to get past where they're at? Absolutely. Uh, and the other thing that I would say is that they all have a story. Everyone that you see on the street has a story. Um, some of them were business owners. Uh, you know, I think about one guy we had at the camp, his name was Phil. He, uh, he owned a uh, video store at one point. Wow. And he had been homeless for over a decade. Hmm. And so, you know, you, you hear these stories. You start meeting these guys in the woods, and they all have a story. They yeah. were all yeah. a regular citizen. And I think when I really came to grips with it, uh, it was a story I had heard secondhand, but there was uh, AHTN does their code blue shelters in the wintertime when the temperature goes down. Okay. And they do trainings, and so they bring in a lot of folks to come in for these trainings. Okay. And the story that I heard was there was a uh, girl there with her mother, and while they were finishing up the training, a man walked in, and he was dressed in street clothes, had himself kind of put together, and they asked if he was there for the training, and he said, no, I'm here for the shelter. And when the girl turned around and saw him, her face dropped. Her chin just dropped almost to the floor. And her mother went, what's wrong? And when the man walked away, she said, that was my English teacher a few years ago. Wow. Oh she just gave me the chills. Right? Wow. Wow. So, I mean, it, it's very clear that is the case. <sighs> now, the, what separates that story from the vulnerable populations is that usually that is paired with something else. And that's usually paired with something else because of that word chronic. Chronic mm. meaning either for a long period of time or several periods of homelessness. Right. And so if you think about that, if you're on the street and you don't have a way out, what's your coping mechanism gonna be? Sure. Some of us have our faith to lean on. Sure. But some of us don't have that, right? And so if you don't have something to lean on, you're going to turn to alcohol, you're going to turn to street drugs to cope, 
or you're not and you're going to deal with the the mental health aspect of things absolutely and, and so yeah so those those folks that we see that we say oh what's wrong with that guy that's usually what the case is they they were a person just like us working a, a regular job living a life and then things fall apart now, now paul you can speak to that because you've spent quite a bit of time with those guys oh yeah um we we spent some time out in the camp behind michael's carpet uh back when it was a thing and uh you know, one thing I'd say to people who don't have much experience with the homeless population is, like, remember that the person you're looking at is um, has been through a lot. Mm, yeah. The person you're looking at has gone through some traumas that you might not understand. Sure. Um, and they're not just going to be open to admit that. Absolutely. You know, and sometimes it's, it's really difficult for someone in that position to even admit that they're, um, that they're suffering. You know, most of the times they'll say, you know, oh, you know, I choose to be homeless. But, you know, I'll tell you, I've, I've spoken to guys who are like, oh, yeah, I'm cool. I don't need an application. That's fine. But, but you know, I don't, I'm not looking for housing. But I'm like, well, would you like an application? And they're like, yeah, yeah, let me get that. Let me, let me get that application over here. Yeah. You know, uh, out at the camp, um, there was this, um, I won't say names, but there was a man out there. Um, he lived in a, in a camper. And... Uh, he worked. He made decent money. He he uh, he had a car. You know, he was he was. Um, you know, I was like, hey, you know, what's going on? Why, uh, you know, you have you have the means to live somewhere. You know, nice. You know, turns out that you know he had a a spouse who committed suicide, wow. and he cannot stand being inside a house. Wow. Hmm. And so it's it's these these traumas um and we're coming to find out more and more scientifically that a lot of mental illness is caused by trauma mm -hmm. bipolar disorder um schizophrenia even is caused by um, a severe amount of trauma in your childhood and in sure. your past and so like i would just say you know be open-minded and um try to have a loving heart absolutely yeah there's there, somebody posted something i seen somewhere uh it was it was a, a short video, but the, the whole premise of the whole thing is you don't know what people are going through, really. Um, and sometimes we get so Chick Fil A. <laughs> that's that what it is. It's part okay. of their training. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I, th I think we get so um, we get so wrapped up in our mm -hmm. own lives, and uh, we like to nitpick at other people, regardless of what their you know their situation is. Um, there, there's something there about our ego, our insecurities. Um, we like to point and. The, the negative stuff out on everyone else. But meanwhile, it's really, you know, pointing at our own flaws, uh, so to speak. And, um, and I don't know if that's, that's, a, that's a normal thing, um, maybe initially, but then once you become aware of something, I think then it becomes ignorance. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's something that it's the education and the awareness that you all are mm -hmm. bringing is just as important um, I believe as the housing, because if there's other people that are more aware of these specific situations and are aware of these specific, um, you know, guys that n actually need the help and, and regardless of the reason why they, they might not think they do, um, or, you know, they do is, is having that awareness. Sometimes some people don't even know some of the locations you're even talking about mm -hmm. even exist. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, whether it's just, they never got the exposure or they don't want to, mm -hmm. um, but but just bringing this awareness now um, is is bringing it to the forefront. It's making people think, especially you know, mm. um, we all forget how blessed we really are. Especially mm -hmm. with the holiday season coming up, that's what's just like crushing me right now. Just like thinking, 
I just got so wound up in thinking about somebody posted something about Christmas shopping. So all day today, I'm thinking like, who the heck goes Christmas shopping in October? And I'm th- thinking about all this stuff. Mm-hmm. It's so minute and so ridiculous to even wrap myself, my mind around that when there's you know bigger issues going on, and you have to catch yourself. Um, you, you get lost in the sauce sometimes. Yeah. Um, but but I do appreciate that you know what you guys are doing, and I know you mentioned about an application. Can you explain what the application is? How do you qualify someone? Well, so I'm going to leave that part of it to you, but there's a backstory to that piece that I'm, I'm going to speak to really quick. Um, I mentioned earlier that uh, this model that we, uh, we are based on is the housing first model. Uh, and this is a model that it's been in existence now for over a decade. Mm. Uh, but there's a, a career social worker by the name of Sam Simbaris who started this. Um, and there's a few cities where it really took hold, but New York City is where it, it got started. Um, and this is going to speak to your question about who qualifies for housing. Got it. Um, and so the reason why Housing First started is because of a series of failures over decades of social work and treatment on how to handle this uh, vulnerable population, this chronically homeless population that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. Uh, What eventually happened is the street outreach teams came to a lot of these folks in New York City that they had seen over and over and over again and said, how can we help you? What do you want? Because the, the approach previously and the competitive approach today is the recovery house model. Hmm. And so what the recovery house model states is you qualify for housing when you are clean. So when you've gotten into a program and you've proven that you're stable enough that we can put you in a house, then you're going to qualify. And there's almost a hierarchy to uh, the type of housing you're going to get. So, you know, you start out at the, the sober house or the halfway house and you work your way up until you can be on your own and be in housing. That question that they asked was critical. How can we help you? What can we do? Mm. Because the answer that they actually got was, I want a place to live. I want housing. Mm. What they found was that old recovery model, that recovery house model, has a 40% success rate in terms of housing stability. Mm. And when they say housing stability, what we're talking about is someone who leaves the street, moves into housing, and is able to maintain their housing. Got it. So not necessarily being able to stay in that first house that they get into, but not going back to the street. Gotcha. What they found was by doing what these folks were asking for, by putting them in housing first and then dealing with everything, it performed two critical uh, pieces. The first one is it didn't attach treatment or support to housing. And what that means is when you're following this recovery house model, you can stay in housing as long as you stay in treatment. Okay. If you put somebody in housing first and then give them the services they need after the fact, they're not tied to each other. So if someone leaves housing for whatever reason, if they lose their housing, uh, if they can't maintain their rent, if they can't maintain um, not having other people come in to their house and, and so maintaining tenancy like the rest of us have to if we rent. Um, If they can't maintain that, they don't lose the services. So whatever social service are being connected to them. So if it's somebody who's an alcoholic, 
they don't lose the treatment. If it's somebody that has mental health, they don't lose that treatment just because they lose their housing. And then the other side to this is that there's a dignity piece that's missing in the recovery house model. Mm. So if you think about that, like if you place rules on anything, is there inherent dignity in that? Right? You feel like you always have to live up to something Absolutely, else, sure. right? Absolutely. So if you take that away, there's a dignity that allows someone to be part of society who is used to having people gawk at them, having people ignore them. You know, most of the, the folks, if you talk to them that are out on the streets, they feel invisible, mm. right? So if you put somebody in housing that was previously out on the streets, there's this dignity piece to I'm not invisible anymore. So on the flip side now, 40% was the success rate of housing stability on the old recovery house model. On the housing first model, across the board, in any country they've run it, 80% success rate wow. in housing stability. Wow. 80%. It's double. And here's the crazy part. The cost is significantly less. Hmm. Because under the old model, if there's a 40% success rate and a 60% failure rate, that other 60% that's not being housed, that's out on the street, they cost the taxpayers right. money, right? Hmm. Because they're in and out of hospitals. They're in and out of prison. So we're paying police officers to pick these guys up. We're paying ambulance drivers or paying ems workers to go and treat these guys out on the street they're going to the hospital we know what emergency room costs are right they're through the roof so if 60 percent are dealing with those costs the cost per person on the street is extremely high whereas if you put them in housing and there's an 80 percent success rate you shrink that population that's not successful to 20 percent you take a lot of strain off the taxpayers back and it's cheaper yeah to house someone yeah yeah I, I saw a statistic actually it's right here on your brochure mm-hmm. that federally funded uh housing is way more than uh the, the the methodology that you all are using um it says the annual cost of housing uh through government funding housing is fifteen thousand dollars per person and the annual cost of housing through the way home is twenty five hundred per person um, so drastically different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I know there's a lot of math that goes involved in this kind of thing. Um, but, but Paul, did you want to talk about the, the, the applicant? Yeah. Uh, I, everything James just said kind of, kind of encompasses the, the applicants we look for. You know, we yeah. don't look for, a, we don't have a whole lot of barriers yeah. involved. Uh, you know, are you homeless? Do you need a place to live? Are you willing to follow like five or six simple rules? You know, that's, that's pretty much it. Absolutely. Um, and then we, we guide them towards um, services, you know, and, you know, we'll, uh, you know, we'll get into friendly visitors more later. But that's yeah. that's essentially what this is, is come get housing and okay. and work on your issues. That's I mean, that's what we're all doing. Every one of us. Absolutely. So, yeah. Well, not, not we have, well, most of us probably have housing, but we're all working on our issues. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, all right, James, define what does compassion mean to you? Because um, it's something that, you know, it comes naturally on, on some aspects. And then it, mm-hmm. a lot of it comes because of experiences. Absolutely. And then because um, you ever see because the reason why I say this, because sometimes my son, who's five, who has a very limited experience with certain things, his is this 
unsurmountable compassion towards people. Like he literally will tear up if he sees something. Like where the heck did he get this? But then there's learned like experiences yeah. when we go throughout life. Yeah. Um, and then it just crushes you when you see a certain kind of thing and it hits you emotionally. So so what does compassion mean to you? Okay. Or how would you define yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, a critical piece in compassion is passion. Yes. Right? So I think a lot of times um, when we see... Uh, vulnerable populations, wherever it is, whether we're talking about human trafficking or we're talking about the homeless people on the streets here or we're talking about abuse victims uh, from domestic violence, there's a passion piece to do something about it, Mm. right? And that's what separates the people who see that and move on with their life Mm. and see that and have to feel, have to want to do. Absolutely. Um, I can say from my personal experience, that I wasn't always compassionate for these populations. Sure. Uh, Obviously, it's hard to not be compassionate when you've been in their shoes. Sure. Uh, But there are other things in this world that I'm compassionate about, shoes that I've never been in. Sure. So um, I think there's a lot of pieces that guide that. you know, I'm not here to preach tonight, but I do believe that grace is a big piece in it. Uh, so I look at all of these situations as these are flawed human beings who are created in the image of God, mm. who are just like me. The only difference is they're going through something right now that I'm not. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not any greater than them. And so I have to give them that grace because that's the grace that was given to me, wow. right? Mm-hmm. The, the fact that I'm here today, that I'm a successful businessman, that I have a college degree, that I own a home and have a family. If you told someone from my past, from 10 years ago, that that's where I would be, they would tell you you're crazy. Mm-hmm. And it, it's grace that got me there. And so I think that's really what it is, is if you have that grace mindset, then you can be compassionate for people around you. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I look at your slogan here on blessed faith, hard work, and gratitude, and, and grace is the key component of gratitude, right? Absolutely. That's the root word to that word gratitude. Absolutely. And so when we look at the world in a, uh, a thankful way, when we look through the lens of gratitude, we tend to have grace for the people around us who maybe are not where we're at in life. Absolutely. And, and that's the population that we serve. Uh, so I think, you know, Paul, I know for sure agrees with me completely there. And I think everyone on our team, our entire board, uh, we look at the world through the lens of grace. Uh, a lot of that has to do with our faith. Absolutely. Uh, that is what triggers the hard work and the gratitude is that faith that we have. Uh, but I think that's, that's the key piece is that I love because I was loved first. I show grace because I received grace first. And, and, you know, the impact that has is immeasurable because, like, you know, the, the same way you receive that grace, grace and you want to give it on, like, the people you give grace to, they continue to want to give on. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I said before, James, the grace that James showed me has set me on fire for helping other people. And, I mean, that's, I mean, the impact of what he's done, uh, especially founding the way home is just, I mean... Yeah, I mean, you can't measure that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so so ha- have you guys followed up with someone that was placed uh, in housing and, and, and 
where they are now or how do you guys stay in the loop with them mm-hmm. um is there like monthly meetings where you just kind of do, do they are they able to stay in tune with you all um or, or how's it how's it work so a lot of this has to do with the needs of the individual okay so and this is kind of the beauty of housing first uh and and what research has shown is actually that people tend to need the rent support longer than they need the services aspect of things okay right so i mean think about that housing opens up a lot of opportunities right so if you're living in the woods and you don't have access to a shower it's kind of hard to keep yourself cleaned up to be able to go out and do interviews and get a job it's hard to fill an application without an address absolutely it really is absolutely yeah and it's hard to get an id without an address and so there's a lot of barriers there but sure once you get into housing and you can keep yourself clean and you have access to a washer and dryer and you can keep your clothes clean and you start to um, reintegrate into society uh, things look much different yes then Um, a lot of people don't need those services support in the long term. And so the the ones who are really successful, once they're established and they have an income stream and they're able to secure their own housing, tend to move on. And the the ones who really grab a hold, we don't tend to hear from anymore. Sure. But we get those great stories where there's somebody who now is reintegrated into society, and now we run into him on the street. Mm. And one of our uh, first residents was the first one to graduate from the program all the way back in the beginning. Uh, and I have run into him several times. He, he resides right here in uh, Bristol. He has an apartment right down along the river. And one of the coolest stories that I heard about this guy is when he moved out of housing uh, with the way home originally, he got into an apartment and he had an extra room in his apartment. And so what did he do? He found a guy on the street that was homeless and he brought him in. And he had this guy live with him for like six months. And then he moved into a bigger apartment and, you know, he got his life together and he's had the same job since then. Uh, So it's just really neat to be able to run into somebody like that and uh, have a conversation with him and and have him watch my kids grow up. And so now my daughter was born when I was originally part of that first group. And so now my daughter just turned six yesterday. Wow. And uh, so he will see the kids and go, oh, my goodness, they're getting so big. Yeah. And it's crazy that, you know, this is a guy who had been homeless living on the street and now knows my family and he's a citizen of the town. And this is the success that comes from this. And, and we have quite a few guys that have gone on to maintain housing, that yeah. fall into that 80% housing stability statistic. Unfortunately, we do have the 20% guys. Yeah. And some of them, unfortunately, we do still see. Yeah. Some of them are floating around Bristol still. Sure. Um, and, you know, there, you have to have that reminder that everybody's vulnerable and this doesn't work 100%. Oh, so yeah. we're still looking for the 100%. But let me just say, too, like that label, homeless, you know, like uh, the PC way of saying that it's like people experiencing homelessness because like that label actually causes a detriment. That, that label actually keeps people down. Mm-hmm. It makes people feel like they're not worthy of good things. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, I, I mean, it, it's it's sad um, this, just to see. For sure. Yeah. Um, so so how, how do you guys, is there a way that you guys market the way home or is it just kind of, you know, you going about your business because, you know, you can only, you know, take in so much, so to speak? Or is there something where you're marketing it and trying to put it out there? Um, 
you know, outside of this wonderful podcast that you're on. Uh, <laughs> so is we like to ask all of our guests, regardless if you have zero marketing, it, that's okay. Uh, we just like it because we have so many listeners that are tuning in who want to start their own nonprofit, whether it's in this area or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just like to help guide them along the way and what tactics work, what doesn't work, or if you're just getting started, it's all Wait, good. I, I, you know what? I haven't even been doing this that long, but networking. Networking yeah. is key. Absolutely. You can't yeah. get do enough networking. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would say to the, the folks who are starting out, yeah. um, know your audience. Mm. That's kind of the biggest piece to it. So, you know, for us, The Way Home, we're a uh, social work program. Yeah. So our audience, as far as outreach goes, is the social work arena. So. Mm-hmm. You know, know know where your social work circles are. For us, uh, there's a a meeting uh, during the school year of all the social work agencies in all of Bucks County that meets once a month. Okay. Uh, That was the bread and butter when we first started The Way Home. Um, Marketing can be as simple as Facebook and social media, which we've used. Uh, But you can also try to get on the the more uh, national scene, which we also did. So... Uh, podcasts like this are fantastic. Absolutely. Uh, but we also got connected through some networking circles, which Paul is 100% right. Networking is the key. But through that, we got connected with uh, WHYY. So, oh, very cool. um, so we were on NPR. Um, we've gotten connected with uh, local media uh, as far as uh, network television goes. So uh, we've had some news spots with NBC and, and ABC and awesome. Action News. And wow. um, so, yeah, it was, uh, it was actually kind of wild uh, back in 2012 when we first got started. I remember having to go to one of my professors at college to tell him that I wasn't going to be in class because I was getting interviewed by NBC. Wow. And, I mean, Very you can't cool. argue with that, right? No. That's, that's a go. guaranteed pass right Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, that's, that's kind of critical is to, to know your local audience and then expand that audience. Yeah. And the result of all of that media presence in the very beginning was uh, when we first got started, we didn't have much of a budget. We yeah. didn't have money to get into housing. And so through one of those reports, someone in Harrisburg happened to hear this report about what was going on. And they found some HUD funds that were available out in Western PA and transferred those funds over here to Bucks County. And through the Bucks County Opportunity Council, we received these funds to open the first house. And so that that can be what happens. And so just don't limit yourself. That's my advice to anybody who's starting out. Start small as far as your your structure goes, right? Get your board together, get your organizational viewpoint together, get your mission statement together, get on the same page, but start small and get your message out. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right, so switching gears a little bit, finding landlords, um, you know, on, on, on the brochure it says finding compassionate landlords. What does that mean? Is that a partnership between you all, or is that just finding someone who can, who's, who's willing to work with uh, the way home? How does that go about? How does that conversation start, or how do you find these guys? Well, so so Paul's job in all of this has been to find a house. Yeah. Um, but that's a great point as far as finding a compassionate landlord. That speaks to um, to where we have struck failure in the past. Sure. Uh, when we are working with a landlord who buys in, mm. who believes in what we're doing, who wants to help, there's less likelihood of losing that 
housing. Got it. And so when we're trying to rent a house, we're not looking to rent a house for a one-year lease and be done. We want to move into the neighborhood and stay. Got it. And so the problem that we've run into in the past is having houses switch hands and new property owners not want to uh, participate. Gotcha. Or having landlords who are compassionate in the beginning and then lose patience over time. Because we are talking about a vulnerable population. We are talking about a population who can be difficult, who can uh, bring up some hard times. Um, and we work through that. And that's, that's where Paul comes in. And, and part of Paul's job is actually to be the, the overseer of the day-to-day. Uh, and I'm glad to pass that along to him because that was my job in the beginning. And, sure. and it's, it's a tough job. So Paul does definitely have a tough job to do. Uh, but we want someone who, as a landlord who's willing to participate in the process along with Paul, somebody that he can partner with uh, to see this vision go forward. Yeah, it is a partnership too. Uh, you know, and, and, and the difficult thing with it is that people are trying to protect their investments. Um, and it's understandable. Everybody wants to protect their investments, sure. you know. Um, but there's also this level of security that comes with the, of an organization um, that's going to take care of your property while uh, the individuals are living in it. Sure. You know, there's, um, like, like James said before, a passionate person is someone who has a passion for, for looking into the lives of others, seeing a plight, mm. and acting on it. And that's, um, you know, we've had compassionate landlords. There's a lot of compassionate people in this community and in this county. Um, you know, I've had several conversations with many different people uh, who are advocates for the homeless um, who are out there looking for uh, a place for us right now. And, uh, you know, if, if anyone out there is is, is willing to, uh, you know, Absolutely. help us out, to help out uh, the community, to, uh, you know, to get people off the street and inevitably improve property values, too, if you think about it, like, that's, that's something that comes along with that, um, you know you know feel free to reach out that's uh it's it's uh it's it's a difficult thing but it's a, it's it's a, it's a it's a sacrifice of love almost um when a person can can lay down their assets lay down what they have to love another person and that's what we're looking for as far as a compassionate landlord absolutely so so for the candidates um that they're going through the way home so you guys have uh, friendly visitors or mentors. What other services are you helping them with uh, or people you're connecting them with to go through this process? So uh, so we have the friendly, you mentioned the friendly visitors. Yeah. Uh, so the friendly visitors are people who will meet in the homes with the guys once a week. It's, it's, it's the only service that they're required to take part in. That's nice. It's, it, the Housing First model just requires that, that you're supposed to meet with a friendly visitor once a week that, it, that kind of keeps, keeps them accountable, kind of uh, lets us keep an eye on like, you know, their progress, how they're getting along, um, you know, make sure that nothing's, you know, nothing is getting broken in the house, nothing bad's happening. Sure. As James said before, it's a vulnerable population, so it's important that that's taking place. So uh, we've partnered the AHTN, um, and there's a couple churches in the area who have also offered up um, some people who um, uh, would like to be a part of that. And uh, yeah, I mean, we're going to set out, there's a big pink book um, in, in uh, at least our county, and it gives, it's basically a directory of all the services, uh, mental health, um, what else, James? Uh, there's a bunch of different services yeah. in that book. Basically, we're gonna set that in the, in the house, and you know, when they decide to choose, they, when they choose to go after those services, our mentors will be trained to direct them in the right, um, on the right path. 
and uh yeah that's that's pretty much it it's 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 um autonomy they have they have the choice to pursue the services they want to pursue and they get to do it on their time when they feel comfortable you know you can't force people to water absolutely absolutely yeah and and when we got this started we didn't feel like there was a need to reinvent the wheel Sure. You know, that all those services that are needed are out there. Absolutely. And so there's no reason for us to bring in-house social workers in to do jobs that are already being done. And yeah, there's case managers out there that have a, a very uh, heavy workload. Uh, but there are some out there who definitely have the passion to take on more people. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so that's, that's critical. Uh, the other piece to having those uh, services be available but not required. Mm -hmm. I mentioned the word dignity earlier, Mm -hmm. uh, but that's kind of the the critical piece to this. So when you force someone to get help, what happens? Absolutely, resistance. Resistance, right? So so we have, in this country, we have a problem with um, not just incarceration, but we have a problem with mandatory rehab, right? Mm -hmm. And what's the story that happens around mandatory rehab? Someone gets arrested and they're forced into rehab for 90 days. What happens at day 91? Relapse. Right. Every time. Mm-hmm. Because you're not doing it because you want to do it. Sure. You're doing it because you're being forced to do it. And there hasn't been a change inside. So the other critical term that uh, falls in under housing first is self-concept. And so when someone's self-concept changes, when they see themselves differently, then they want help and then they reach out. So what Paul's talking about with these friendly visitors coming and not having an agenda of pushing people into services, but really just coming to be a friend, that's the, the friendly part of friendly visitor. I like it. Um, when they invest time in someone without the requirement of them to go seek services, then they see the value in themselves mm. and see themselves differently, and then they want the help. Then they want to reach out and say, hey, I have this issue and I notice that you don't. How do I get past this? I'm a drug addict and now I finally admit it and I need help. Who do I go to? And those services are there. And that success rate is drastically higher than when it's forced. Absolutely. And you know, one of the the best things about this, um, there not being like a time, any time constraints on uh, the the, the residents stay in our houses is that it allows people just coming in to kind of see the progress of the people who've been there for a while. Mm -hmm. And that can actually motivate them to, to, um, to see themselves differently. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. It's like the, the, one of the worst diets out there anytime you see a diet that's like a one size fits all it's it's Mm -hmm. not going to work for the majority of the people uh but when you actually hire like a nutritionist and they're giving you something that's actually for your body your build your metabolism all of a sudden it works through the roof um so so I, i like that approach uh switching gears up to the last question uh before we close out um how do you guys maintain the work-life balance? Is this, you know, <laughs> every time we ask this, it's so funny. You're like, what is life? <laughs> this is life. Um, but, uh, you know, just share with the group. Is there time you cut out for family? Is there time or is it just all kind of all intermingling and it is what it is? One big mush, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. So that's a that's one that I, I think I wrestle with a lot. So, Absolutely. Um, I did start this back in 2011. Um, I mentioned I have a daughter who just turned six. Yeah. And she was born in 2013. 
And when she was born, I had to shift gears as far as career went and go into something uh, that I could support the family on so that my wife could stay home with the kids. And so I am actually a business manager at a car dealership. uh, And I've been in the automotive industry now for the last six years. Um, So that is a time-consuming career. Absolutely. Uh, That is an every Saturday job. Uh, and that is a lot of hours. And so uh, I have thrown some things on top. Uh, so I, I actually took a uh, leave of absence from the way home. I stepped down from the board several years ago. And uh, the board tried to rejuvenate uh, the mission this past year and realized that there was no one left who was from the original group. And so uh, our president, Kyle Farris, reached out to me and said, could you come to a board meeting uh, just to kind of help us yeah. to, to work your way through? And I left that board meeting back on the board. Uh, <laughs> I think he was a better salesman than me. And I didn't know it was possible, but he closed me pretty good on that yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I've added that back into the mix, but I also serve as an elder at our church. And part of this melding, as you called it before, yeah. um, it's just that... Uh, Our church lives under a discipleship model, and so we do things together. Mm -hmm. Uh, We live life together. Paul telling the story about how he came to live with my wife and and my family and I, um, that was part of that mission to live life together. Mm -hmm. And so when one of us goes into something like The Way Home and makes that our personal mission, it becomes the church's mission. And so our daily life is all-inclusive you know we're, we're all a part of all of these missions that we do together so sure. when we brought Paul on to be our executive director the church kind of rallied around that uh, we actually had a, a church service where we all got to gather around and pray over Paul because we were sending him out to do this mission in the world and wow. so um, there is a, a bit of personal family time that gets put aside by all of us sure but really life is just one big mesh of everything together absolutely it's not just us we we carry the burdens with each other uh we celebrate with each other Uh, but yeah it's it's one big family doing all of these things yeah and i don't know how i would do without my church it's it's uh you know there's a so i I work full-time at wood services uh, you know, that is, I'm a residential counselor, kids with autism. And, uh, you know, I was go to school part-time. And then when I took this on, my wife was like, what are you doing? Yeah. Why, why would you do this? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just felt like, a, it felt like a calling. But honestly, what's gotten me through it, it's been really stressful. Um, it's the time constraints and, like, having to, like, reprioritize everything. Uh, a few things that got me through it. Um, just really setting aside time for my wife. Yeah, I mean, noticing when I need to spend time with her, and then also, like, just the wisdom of my community, um, of the community. Like, if you don't have a community, you should probably go out and get one, because it is the most powerful thing you can have in your life. Um, There's nothing better than the counsel of others to get you through. Um, Yeah, and uh, also just, I don't know, there's like this uh, whole perfectionist thing I had, where I had this 3.95 grade point average, and I had to let that die. And like it's okay that that dies, right. you know. What I mean? Like right, if, right. if you're if you're a perfectionist, like sometimes things can be less than perfect, and it's okay. Sure. So if that's uh, if that's helpful to anyone, absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
All right, before we close out, do you guys want to, um, do you have any phone numbers they can call, websites, social media handles, anything they can get in contact? If someone wants to support, uh, I, I do see you have uh, someone pledging or someone wanting to volunteer. H- how do they reach you all? If, uh, you guys, if uh, you'd like to reach out to the Way Home, our phone number is 833-WAY-HOME. It's um, 833-929-4663. Uh, you can reach out to me by email. It's pclements.twh at gmail.com. Perfect. Any closing words, James? Sure. Um, for, for all of those who are out there listening, um, the one thing I want to leave you with is to remember what we talked about uh, as far as who that population we serve is. Mm. Remember early on as we were discussing this tonight, we talked about how close we all are to being in those shoes. And so the next time you see that guy standing on the street corner, I challenge you all to not look at him the same way, to remember that that's a man with dignity with a story. That's a woman with dignity with a story who's hurting just like you've hurt in your life. Um, And have some compassion there. Get that passion for the people who are critical populations or vulnerable populations and reach out and help. And, uh, you know, you just heard the phone number for the way home. Sure. There are a few things that we need. We do always need volunteers. Paul mentioned earlier that we are looking for landlords. So, uh, if you are a landlord and, and you have the ability to help, please do. Absolutely. And if you have money that you want to give, we always have the need there. Absolutely. You can give on a monthly basis. We always challenge people to uh, give to support a homeless, a currently homeless man, get housing. And that can be as simple as $150 a month to subsidize their rent. And so, I, you know, I think most of us can figure out a way in our budgets to come up with $150 to do that. And you will for whatever it is that you're passionate about. Right, sure. So if there's a, there are those out there who are passionate for this uh, mission that we have, please reach out. Call Paul. He'll get you in touch with, um, with our bank account or, or get you the information for our, our bank account to be able to uh, deposit money either through PayPal or, or through any of the other ways. Sure. Um, but partner with us if you have a passion i love it absolutely well said all right so there you have it folks we like to close out our podcast with quotes and the first one is by the dalai lama compassion and tolerance are not a sign of weakness but a sign of strength and the second one by steve maribali a kind gesture can reach a wound that only compassion can heal the Way Home, in this episode, we have special guests Paul Clements and James Richardson. We cover topics that range from starting a nonprofit, rental properties, compassion, homelessness, and much more. We wrap the episode up with quotes from the Dalai Lama and Steve Maraboli. Awesome. Guys, thanks again for joining us. The Rotated Views podcast was produced for self-development purposes. Huge shout out to our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by the Blessed Lifestyle brand. That is BL3SSED.com. Also sponsored by The Motivation Files Unleashed. This motivational mixtape will be your fuel for success. Available on all platforms. Guys, don't forget to visit the website, JimmyLeeVelez.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Rotated Views. If you have any inquiries or questions, email us at info at JimmyLeeVelez.com. On behalf of myself and the rest of the crew, we wish you massive success. Stay blessed.